Brendan of Antolberg for Biz News. We all know that single-use plastic is a scourge and have become a key environmental issue of our time. Billions and billions of items of plastic are choking our oceans, lakes and rivers and are piling up on land. The Ellen MacArthur Foundation has predicted that there could be more plastic than fish in the sea by 2050. That figure might be disputed because fish are hard to count. But the point is, it is a massive problem. A company that is doing something about it in South Africa is ScarabTech. They are one of the 2021 regional winners of the Africa Startup Awards. It is a company founded in 2018 that specializes in research and development of small-scale mobile units that turn plastic into carbon-neutral energy. And joining me now is the co-founder and the CEO of ScarabTech, Jeffrey Barbie. Hi, Jeffrey. How are you? Great, Linda. Thanks for having me on today. Well, tell us about the tech you're developing in South Africa. Well, as you mentioned, you know, plastic is a persistent and growing problem around the world. You know, 4.9 billion tons of it already litter the earth. And, you know, it's destructive to ecosystems. It's dangerous to people's health. It breaks down into smaller particles. And there's really no safe way to get rid of it except for putting it in a landfill and covering it over. So one of the problems with that is that, you know, putting it in a landfill means that the landfills are filling up all around the world. Most of the plastic on planet Earth was actually being processed in the Far East in countries like Cambodia, Vietnam, the Philippines, China. And these countries have refused to take any more plastic. So, you know, we're a Colorado based company in the United States. And in Colorado itself, we used to export most of our recyclable plastic to Southeast Asia on board huge ships. And now those ships are not going anymore. And landfills in Colorado, for instance, that we're going to fill up in, you know, 20 years, five years ago, have now a projected lifespan of only five to seven years. So this is a major problem for everyone around the world. And here in South Africa, where I am at the moment, we are doing our research and development using technology that South Africans have built over the last hundred years. You know, here in South Africa, we have cold to fuels projects at Sassel, just south of Johannesburg, where our, our headquarters are. And we're using the technology built on that system, on the coal to energy and to turn plastic, which has more energy density than coal, back into usable fuels that are carbon neutral and that also offset mined fuels and create a much more environmentally friendly product that also gets rid of plastic forever. Wow. Okay. Tell us, what are the units? They are called BeetleTech? Right. So we actually are built on a not-for-profit that started six years ago. We got a grant from American-based Burning Man to take a machine that was inside of a vast, shiny steel earth made with recycled material. And that machine turned plastic into electricity to power arts and entertainment here at South Africa's version of Burning Man called Africa Burn. And from that time, we built that off of some technology that was created by one of our co-founders, Pierre Pretorius, who's, who's based in Limpopo. And we turned that into a current commercially available machine that we are rolling out into pilots throughout Southern Africa, not yet here in South Africa, but also in Bangladesh, Australia, and Papua New Guinea. These are small systems 
because pyrolysis, which is the technology these systems are built on, has already been lauded for the last 15 years as a major way to get rid of plastic forever. But the problem is, is like most of human nature, people have been a little bit greedy. And these machines have been built into the size of huge city blocks. And they are not very efficient. They also don't create enough energy to justify their massive expense. These are machines that cost upwards of 70 million US dollars to to build and run. So a lot of people invested into this technology about 15 years ago, and they decided that it just wasn't going to work for them. But the problem was, was that they were using it on a much larger scale than the technology is capable of delivering efficiency. So what we did here in Johannesburg is focus on creating a much smaller machine that is modular, that fits in a 40-foot container, can be taken out, implemented within days where the plastic is a problem. And we're talking about far-flung communities, usually far away from municipal solid waste sites like uh, in um, northern Mozambique and central Mozambique, Bangladesh, uh, the beaches of Papua New Guinea. These are places that have a massive plastic problem, a massive energy problem, and are mostly already using generators to generate electricity. So we've taken this great South African know-how, put it together with a big, very powerful international team, some of which is financed originally by the people who helped start Uber and the people who helped some of the first founders of Facebook. Maybe some of them felt a little bit guilty about those two ventures. (laughs) Please don't put that into the piece. (laughs) Let's use the guilt. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but they they got behind us because they could see that the plastic around the world is a major problem, especially in these far-flung communities. So our systems are affordable. We want to bring them down to about 40,000 US dollars each, and they can be transported very easily overseas in containers and plonked where the plastic is a problem and start creating energy from people's plastic almost within a week. So this is a small, modular, highly efficient system that creates usable energy from the get-go. Okay, so I got it. So this was technology developed by Sassel, which is great. And then you are using it in a different way. I would just like to correct you there. The technology wasn't actually developed by Sassel. It has been around before Sassel. Okay. So this technology was actually used originally in Paris during the German occupation in World War II to create energy because they did not have any supplies of liquid fuels. Really? So they would turn old rubber and first plastics, you know, Bakelite and stuff like that, into energy that they could power the the taxis of Paris. So this is a very old technology that was harnessed by Sassel because at that time during apartheid, There was the blockade and there were no liquid fuels available. So they used it to generate power, to generate liquid fuels from coal. Okay, got it. Do they actually burn plastic? Um, Because, you know, that's also another pollutant again. Right. So burning plastic is really bad for the atmosphere. So there's currently only two ways to get rid of plastic today. You put it in the ground safely. You put it in the ground, that's the only safe way, and that makes a problem for people down the road, but it stops it from being in the environment today. Or you burn it into the atmosphere, which creates incredibly dangerous pollutants called dioxin. 
This is horrible for people's health. You can see it hanging over the townships of Johannesburg where people are burning plastic in barrels. Particularly in the dry season, it creates a really terrible ground level ozone, asthma in children. We do not burn plastic. We are heating plastic in a closed container, just like a still does. So a still where you get whiskey uses a sour mash. It heats it up. It vaporizes the alcohol out of the sour mash at a particular temperature. Then it recondenses it into alcohol. You were releasing that vapor into the atmosphere. You would have no alcohol or no product. So in our case, we're very meticulously capturing all of the vapor that comes out and then reconstituting it into a fuel that can be used to run generators or, or diesel engines. So when will they be commercially available? So right now we're working on a group of commercial, semi-commercial pilots around the world. These systems are complex, but not too complex. And they are run by highly efficient software algorithms that our team has been developing here in Johannesburg. And we'll be implementing these pilots in places like Maputo, possibly in Vilonkulosh in Mozambique, Bangladesh, Papua New Guinea, and with our partners, our first commercial build partners in Australia. So it was never our intention to be manufacturers of these machines and send them out from South Africa all around the world. It has always been our intent to have a very comprehensive group of plans where we have commercial build partners who have lots of experience in high-tech fabrication. So, you know, you could have a, a high-tech fabricator in Cape Town making these for the Southern African market off of our designs. We would get the remittance from that. So what we want to see is thousands, maybe tens of thousands of these machines in the next five years working all around the world, creating small economies that support them in the places many of these places which need jobs and training in the places that are most highly impacted by the plastic problem. Okay, I was recently in Cape Town and we're looking at these guys pushing huge trolleys somewhere. So are you using local communities, guys like that? Are you getting plastic from them? Yeah, so absolutely. These create two types of microeconomies around them, these machines. One is it taps into the local economy that's already picking up high-value plastic. But it's leaving a lot of the low-value plastic in place. And in place, we mean in our streets, our rivers, and our beaches. So it creates a small micro-economy around it by valuing up the plastic that people would normally not pick up and return to the recycler. The recyclable plastics that we can all imagine, like this is a, this is a bottle of PET, this is plastic number one. We don't use those plastics. They have a very good recyclable value. They are easy to recycle. They use a lot less energy. And there is a large infrastructure in most places that will turn those plastics into new plastics again. Keeping in mind that of all the plastic that goes into the recycling system, only about 20% is actually recycled. And usually it's this type. So we then go to the small pickers. We call them plastic pickers. And in this case, we're working on a project to develop one of these systems in Maputo. And so we're working with the University of Eduardo Malane, and they are helping us identify places we could implement this that would really value up the plastic that people are leaving in place. So this is uh, polypropylene plastics, thin film plastics, plastics that uh, are degraded, but very low value. 
And so those people who are already picking up the plastic can make two or three times more money picking up all of the plastic. And we can employ more people than are currently being employed in that value chain. So that's one type of microeconomy that is created by the implementation of these machines in the field. The second type of microeconomy is the actual build of these machines. So you can imagine in Indonesia, they have a massive plastics problem in the Eastern Indian Ocean. And they also have a very high level of manufacturing capability there. If you think about it, a lot of hard drives are made there. There's a high level of computer-based engineering available in those places. But they are not using this technology yet. So what we want to do is create manufacturing partners and create an economy around the development and implementation of the machines so that they will go out and build these machines according to our very high level of safety we use here in South Africa and in Australia. And we will then be giving those designs over to them. They pay us a remittance and they develop these machines and implement them in some of the two and a half thousand islands in that Indonesian island chain. So those are the sort of partnerships that will make this scalable globally. And those are the microeconomies that are built around them. Well, we've got to talk about you, your background. You're actually an investigative journalist and have written many articles for National Geographic. And recently, you focused on environmental issues in the Okavango in Namibia. Well, tell us about that. So I'm a contributing writer to National Geographic. I'm a, I'm a freelancer. And I also work with The Guardian in London and sometimes for Thomson Reuters Foundation. I mostly follow environmental and scientific issues and mostly around an, a sort of educational remit. So what's going on? What can be done about it? How are events unfolding on the ground? So I often fortunately have the chance to go to some of these places. In the Okavango, myself and my, my colleague, my co-writer, her name is Laurel Nimi, Dr. Laurel Nimi. And she and I have been following Recon Africa's attempt, it's a Canadian company, to drill for oil and gas in the Okavango watershed, partly in Namibia and partly in Botswana. And we've seen throughout Southern Africa over the last three years, a large number of oil and gas companies coming into the region, looking at developing resources here that they're not really looking at developing elsewhere in the world, partly because of what we consider to be a limited regulatory environment and partly because they are just running out of other places to drill. And we've seen it on the wild coast of South Africa with Shell recently, and we're going to see it again now on the west coast of South Africa with a new group coming. And these are just two or three of the places that are being targeted. There's the Zambezi Valley. There's the area around Vilankulosh in Mozambique. Then in northern Mozambique, we all know about the total investment there by the French company and the gas find that they found there. So Southern Africa seems to be ground zero right now for oil and gas. And one of the things that we looked at at Scarab Tech was how could we limit the new drilling of oil and gas? And one way to do that is to take a plastic problem and turn it into a fuel solution that then basically helps bankrupt these companies and stops them from being able to sell more oil and gas to mostly off-grid power producers. And if you think about most off-grid power producers in Southern Africa or on Indian Ocean islands or in the Pacific are using generators. And that fuel is very expensive. 
It takes two to three liters of fuel to deliver one liter of fuel to an island like Vanuatu. And you can imagine that comes with a huge cost in carbon of weld tank transport to drill it, to get it out of the ground, to drive it in a ship, to put it over the reef in a small boat in a plastic container and deliver it to the person sitting on an island in the Pacific who already has literally hundreds of thousands of tons of plastic sitting on their beaches. Well, finally, can we just ask you, what is your vision? Do you see an army of these beetles around the world? Yeah, you know, in the next five years, we'd like to see thousands of these beetles cleaning up the plastic problem, creating energy microgrids, and then supplanting those microgrids as the plastic diminishes with solar, which most of these places are very sunny, a combination of solar and wind power. And so we develop a microgrid around the machines because they generate electricity at source. And then that microgrid is taken over by renewable energy. And we would like to see the plastic problem go away and be a completely renewable energy company in the next 10 years. Well, thank you, Jeffrey Barbie, the founder of Scarab Tech. Thank you very much, Linda. And it's a pleasure to talk to you.